Justin. And I'm Kim. Welcome to Cowboys Like Us, the podcast where we talk about Taylor Swift and her music. Yeehaw. Hello, and welcome back to Cowboys Like Us, the official podcast, Golden Corral. Golden Corral! Technically, we serve food. Today, we are discussing Cowboy Like Me, the namesake of this podcast and a standard album track from Evermore, Folklore's younger, less put-together sister. Yep. But first, we do have some poll results for you. Eyes open, people voted, and y'all gave it a six because you have no taste. <laughs> so, very disappointed, as per usual. I know Madeline, in particular, didn't quite care for this song. Yeah. Well, democracy was a mistake. <clears throat> yeah, we don't need to get into it. <laughs> It's not what this podcast is about. This podcast is, however, the biggest fans of the podcast, New Heights. <laughs> Indeed. With that said, let's get right into the news. News from around the Taylorverse. Dancing with the Stars got a new season coming up, and they've announced that they will have a Taylor Swift night, which features everybody dancing to Taylor Swift song. This would be exciting. If anyone watched Dancing with the Stars, but I don't. A lot of people do. I am not watching this season, but I have watched seasons before, and they always have like a Disney night where they dance to Disney music, and they usually do like a bunch of B-roll and the parks and stuff. But it also makes sense because Taylor works with Disney, and Dancing with the Stars is on ABC and is currently like streaming primarily on Disney Plus and all that jazz. You do the math. <laughs> well, good. In other good news, the Eras Tour movie has now reached $100 million worth of pre-sale tickets as of today, as we record this podcast. And Cinemark, an American movie theater chain, has announced that Taylor has broken their in-office pre-sale record for their theaters by a large margin. They said, in fact, the demand is 10 times higher than anything else they've ever released in their theaters. Well, maybe it wouldn't have been so popular had people actually been able to get tickets. <laughs> maybe. To the tour, I mean. We may never know. Girls outing. Taylor was seen out to dinner in New York with a whole posse of famous ladies, including Blake Lively, Sophie Turner, Brittany Mahomes, wife of Kansas City Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes, and a bunch of other friends of Taylor. Yeah, because they were all in town for the game on Sunday. Indeed. Speaking of that, Travis Kelsey was seen entering Taylor Swift's apartment building and was there for a while. <laughs> and then he was seen leaving. What were they doing? One has to wonder. Are they playing Boggle, Scrabble, Yahtzee, having sexual relations? We may <laughs> never know. Yeah, we don't know. I don't know. I like to imagine they're playing Una. Maybe. We know she goes to Una parties. That's right. Taylor is the new queen of the National Football League. Rightfully so. She attended her second consecutive Kansas City Chiefs football game, this time in New York, greater New York, technically New Jersey. 
attending the Chiefs vs. Jets game, which the Chiefs won. She was in a suite with Brittany Mahomes, Blake Lively, Ryan Reynolds, Sophie Turner, Hugh Jackman, and more. Donna Kelsey put some fucking respect on her name. I didn't know she was in that box. Mama Kels was there. I didn't see her in the photos. She was there. Well, there you go. There's a clip of her talking to Taylor, and Taylor, like, puts her arm around her and, like, pulls her into a hug. Maybe Taylor's just doing this because she likes Travis's mom. Maybe. We don't have it in the news, but also Travis's mom went on the Today Show. I think the segment with Jenna and Hoda or whoever it is now. And she also went on another news show. But they asked her, like, what were y'all talking about? How was it like meeting her? Yada, yada, yada. And everybody's trying to make it out like Mama Kelsey, like, was shading her. Because she, they were like, you know, how was she hanging out with her? Like, we've met her. She's been nothing but delightful, whatever. And... Mama Kelsey is like, it was okay. Oh. <laughs> and they're like, she's shading her. But then she goes on to literally say, this whole thing is really new. And I have been thrust into the spotlight like never before. And I thought it was already bad. And so I very much get the sense from listening to her talk about it herself mm. that she genuinely doesn't know what to say or not to say. And so she's covering herself by just not saying anything, trying not to talk about it. Indeed. Playing her cards close to the vest, which you should do. She's like, I don't want to, what if I say, oh, she was great and wonderful and we have the best time and she's so nice and I love her a lot. And then Taylor's like, what the fuck are you doing? (laughs) Yep. It would be stressful having to talk about it. That's for sure. But not everybody is on board with all the Taylor Swift NFL crossover coverage at the Giants game, also in New York, New Jersey, on Monday night football, so the next night after the Jets game, there was an ad for the Eras Tour movie shown in the stadium, and the crowd booed long and loud. Hated it. We're very annoyed. Also, lots of shitty bro dudes are pissy. Online, won't somebody think of the sports? Pearl clutching. What about the love of the game? As if the NFL wasn't a billion dollar sports business. Can we go back for just a second? Why would they play the ad for the Eras Tour movie at the Giants game? Is it just the New York relation? Because, like, she ain't dating a Giants player. She wasn't at a Giants game. I guess the NFL feels like she's been giving them free promo, so they're going to give her some. I mean, yeah, but at least play it, like, at the game she's at. (laughs) Well, they may have, and they may have had a better reaction there. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think when she's known to be connected to one of the Giants' rival teams, why wouldn't they boo? (laughs) Glamour is mad because the NFL media has assumed that women don't know sports and have made lots of little patronizing segments, football guide for Swifties type thing. This is what football is and how it works. And they have done that, and it's gross. We are from Alabama, as we've said before, as if the accents don't give away. (laughs) (laughs) Our sort of statewide media apparatus, AL.com, had a similar PR disaster a few years back when they had a ladies' intro guide to football that they published. They mansplained football. They did, as if women in Alabama don't grow up watching football just because they kind of have to, like it's around. Yeah. Osmosis, even if they're not into it. They know about it. Yeah. So. Well, like, last night, I did the thing that women do, and tried to, like, downplay 
my knowledge or whatever. And I was like, I knew of the Kelsey brothers like before and I was familiar with them and like always familiar with the game or whatever. And you were like, yeah, you know football. Yep. I was like, well, you know, I know it more now. Yep. Women know it. The NFL doesn't need to be mad sexist about it. No, it is a little mansplaining and a little like, oh, like, I don't know, like we're children or something because we have vaginas. That's very much what it's like. Very yeah. patronizing. Yeah, I guess you did say that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I did or not, but that's yeah. what it is. I think you did. It's in the document, so I probably did. But yeah, even Travis Kelsey thinks that all of the media hype is getting a little bit out of hand. He said on the New Heights podcast, I think it's fun when they show who all is at the game. I think it brings a little bit more to the atmosphere brings a little bit more to what you're watching. But at the same time, I think they're overdoing it a little bit for sure. Especially my situation. Situation. No. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, On the episode of New Heights, Jason teed it up and was kind of like, is the NFL doing too much? Travis was like, yeah. (laughs) But like Donna Kelsey said the same thing. She was like, I think it's kind of blown a little out of proportion. I think this is a lot. <laughs> I don't really understand what's happening. Yeah, the what's happening is the NFL sees dollar signs yeah. and they're mm-hmm. going to chase them because that's what the NFL does. Yeah. Well, Taylor Swift is a walking dollar sign. That's right. She, In the best way. She too is a businesswoman, so yeah. yeah. It's not as if this is news to her, I don't think, that this is how the NFL's chosen to react. Yeah. Speaking of whiny little piss babies, fuck Barstool Sports forever. Okay. That was our stance before today. That has always been (laughs) my stance, but it's relevant this week because Dan Katz, one of the esteemed sports talkers for Barstool, said recently on a podcast that unless he gets a Taylor and Travis sex tape out of all this, he's not interested in hearing more about their relationship, and that until he sees the sex tape, he won't even believe the relationship is real. He thinks it's a publicity gimmick. Actress... Rachel Ziegler came to Taylor's defense on X and said, It's not news that the media is particularly and unwarrantedly cruel to Taylor Swift, but the way men feel entitled to speak about women, their bodies, and their sex lives needs to be seriously evaluated. True facts. Yeah, I agree with her statement 100%. facts. Yep, can't really add much to it. It's right and well stated. But it won't matter because Barstool's whole brand is based on bigotry that they call satire. When you push back on it, like all bigots, they either intentionally misuse the word satire or they simply have no understanding of what the word means. And today, you're about to learn what it is so that you can know and call them on their bullshit. My personal stance is that I don't believe that a single person who works for Barstool knows what the word satire means. <laughs> I think some of them probably do, but they know they can get away, mm-hmm. use it as a get out of jail free card. But let's talk about satire briefly, shall we? One of the most famous works, Jonathan Swift's A Modest Proposal, is a satirical essay that he wrote, which said, you know, the potato famine is happening in Ireland. The Irish people are very poor and they're very hungry. Why don't they just eat their kids, you know? One less mouth to feed, it makes sense. Or, alternatively, if you ain't got enough dog in you to eat your own kid, you could sell your kid to an aristocrat so they can eat them, and then you use the money you got to buy yourself and your other child food. So, yeah, 
And the joke in there, the satire, is that while it seems as if it's, haha, Irish people are poor, but that's not what he's saying. He's saying, you fancy rich assholes in the UK are set here, letting people starve, shooting down actual proposals to help. How do you like this one then? You sick fucks. Why don't you just eat the kids? Because that's basically what, what you're fucking doing. You're letting them die anyway. Why don't you fucking... Why is this too far for you? It's reducto ad absurdum. It's a good time for everyone. It's about punching up versus punching down. And that ain't new. We've been talking about this for years as a society. Satire, like Mr. Jonathan Swift's, pretends to punch down for comedy, but it's actually punching up. Barstool instead punches down and then they claim to actually be punching up, but they're not. And you can tell that because who would the joke be on? Who would the joke be on? If it's not on women and people of color, then who the fuck do you think it's on? And they can't tell you because that, you know. They don't understand. That would give the game away. So yeah, they're bad people and I hate them. They hate women. It's not new. No, not new for Barstool, that's for sure. Indeed. All right, let's move on to chart watch. On the Billboard Artist 100, Taylor reclaimed the number one spot, unseating Olivia Rodrigo after her two-week usurpation. I didn't know how long that was going to last. I had no clue. Nope. It might have gone on forever. Who knows? <laughs> on the Billboard Hot 100 at the singles chart, Cruel Summer is up two spots at number four. Anti-Hero is up five spots at number 21. Carmen with Ice Spice up seven to number 31. On the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart, Midnight's dropped two spots to number 10, Lover dropped one spot to number 12, Folklore dropped one spot to number 16, Big Now Taylor's Version dropped five spots to number 18, 1989 dropped one to 19, Reputation gained three spots to number 20, Red Taylor's Version up four spots to number 25, Evermore up three to 33, and Fearless TV up five spots, number 61. Debut remains out of the chart. Those three points on reputation were all me. Could well be. <laughs> Could well be. Nah. Well, I guess it's time to journey once again to that magic land that everyone knows and loves. Kimberly's Clown Corner. Kimberly's Clown Corner. All right. We're talking about 1989 again, so... Get over it. Be mad about it. <laughs> 1989 Clownery Part 2. Yeah. My document is literally titled 1989 Part 2 Electric Boogaloo. Mm. There it is. So, there has been more that has come to light. At least for me, some of y'all might already know about this. But, especially if you follow Nikki Hing on TikTok. But, I thought I would share that more has come to light about the evidence and the chance of us getting a additional 1989 album. So here we go. Shout out, like I said, as always, to at King 23 on TikTok for gracing my For You page with clownery. So let's go back to about two weeks ago when I was just chatting to y'all about the potential of getting a second 1989 album, getting a double drop. I walked through kind of the rough outline of the theory, but we're going to go a little more in depth here. There have been theories and Easter eggs for a while now about Taylor dropping a double drop on us, but it has yet to happen. But it might actually happen this time. Just as a little refresher on this theory, Taylor has been switching up 
her outfits. And we know that she leaves Easter eggs in her outfits. But she's been going back and forth between black and white, kind of neutral palette, and blue during this, like, 1989 era, round two, Taylor's version era. <laughs> in the 1989 set of the Eras tour, the backup dancers and the backup singers and a lot of the stage props and visuals lean into this theory by being all black and white and then there's like bright touches of blue which only solidified more when she wore the 1989 blue outfit for the set on 1989 announcement night which i freaked out over and you laughed at me for <laughs> because the colors don't mean anything they definitely do so it has always been assumed that this double drop would be two standalone albums or two re-records dropped simultaneously signs now are pointing to the double drop actually being a companion album to 1989 which its color is blue like a b-side full of feature tracks and this one would be black and white void of all color <laughs> also today as in the day we're recording as in friday october 6th the 1989 merch line dropped and it includes two shirts that are completely different from the rest of the line and they are black and white in their color scheme. They kind of stand out in comparison to the rest of them. Most recently, Taylor has been following this black and blue pattern in her outfits at and after the various Chiefs games she has attended. But one special occasion to pay attention to is after the VMAs, Taylor attended a party where she changed her outfit up from her black ensemble for the awards show to a, a denim mini dress. And with this dress, she also changed some of her jewelry. Her after-party outfit included a choker-style necklace with an orange citrine gemstone. Do you know what month citrine is the birthstone for? I surely do not. It is November. How about that? So just log that in your brain because you might not know right now why November is even relevant. Indeed. Do you know why November is relevant? Well, it's right after October, which we are in now, uh -huh. and when 1989 is coming out. Yeah, so October is when 1989 is coming out. Exactly. So yeah. presumably, then, your theory is that the companion piece comes out in November. Yep. But we'll get there. <laughs> so, that's the black and blue, the, the clothing, the black and white versus blue that's been represented. So... Taylor has been really enjoying the use of the term chaos or chaotic, especially in phrases like chaotic surprise for a while now. The first instance we saw of this was when she released the calendar for Midnight's. On Friday, October 21st, she had written on the calendar in parentheses 3 a.m. Eastern and then following it said, special, very chaotic surprise. This ended up being the 3 a.m. edition of Midnight's. Again, note, chaotic surprise, midnight's reference, we'll come back. Yep. Last year, Taylor posted a photo of her and Jack Antonoff in the studio. She's sitting in the floor with like a big upright bass over her legs. And Jack is sitting in a chair with a guitar, super casual. In the photo, Taylor is holding up three fingers for a number three on each hand. Some people speculate that this points to 33 tracks on the next album, people at the time. Obviously, it was also her age she was turning because she posted this photo right around her birthday. In the picture, she is also wearing a white t-shirt with precisely five cats on it. People never learn. People never learn. 
making these clowns speculate further that specifically 1989, the fifth album, would have 33 tracks total. The current planned 1989 release, Taylor's version release, has 22 tracks total, including the Target edition bonus track. Which means, based on this theory, we're missing 11 tracks. Mm. 11 tracks. Or track 11. What? <laughs> Welcome to Clownery. <laughs> track 11 on Midnight's is Karma. Right. The song. You know, that song. Named after the lost album that everyone but Justin believes in. Heard of it. So speaking of the song Karma and Midnight's, the version featuring Ice Spice has a curious line in it. In Ice Spice's verse, she says, and she about to pop up unannounced. Like a surprise album. <laughs> yes. If you take it completely out of context, it does seem that way. <laughs> what in Taylor Swift's Easter egg history tells you that we should take anything in context. <laughs> I just think it's reaching. But go on. That is what clownery is. So the black and white theory comes from all of Taylor's outfits and the recent glitches on her website. However, the idea that it's a whole feature album comes from the fact that 1989 is the first re-record not to have a single feature on it. It also has total less vault tracks than her previous re-records. Taylor has famously said that she has tons of material from this time in her life. So where are all of those extra songs? Will we get the same album just with features? Will it be all different tracks from, night, from the 1989 T Taylor's version standard? Jesus, I can't talk. Mm -hmm. Will it be a mix of the two? Who knows? Everyone in the clown car for this theory is more concerned now about will they drop at the same time on the same day? Or will the black and white version come a little bit later? Maybe like November 9th. Why would it be November 9th? In particular. On November 9th, last year, Taylor Nation tweeted in response to another tweet, quote, chaotic. We love it. The tweet it was in response to was not chaotic at all. It was a tweet about a Swifty who was just sharing that they purchased the anti-hero remixes. Seems pretty chaotic. So chaotic. November the 9th this year is a Thursday and is also the day that Taylor returns to the Eras Tour. Okay. It is also National Chaos Never Dies Day. According to whom? Uh, the internet. I see. But Taylor loves a random national holiday, like National Donut Day. Well, everybody loves National Donut Day because it gives you an excuse to eat a donut. <laughs> well, this gives you an excuse to be chaotic. And that sounds just up Taylor Swift's alley. All right. So after all of the vault tracks, the, the puzzles were solved, Taylor tweeted, quote, it's a new soundtrack with a little blue heart. Mm-hmm. Here are the back covers and the vault track titles for 1989, my version. I can't wait for this one to be out. Seriously. Thank you for playing along, sleuthing, puzzling, and making these reveals so much chaotic fun, which is the best kind of fun after all. Okay. This tweet, <laughs> and y'all really buckle in because we're getting crazy. <laughs> this tweet was posted at 2.11 p.m., which if you actually pay attention to my clown corners, which I found out that a lot of people don't, other than like Christy, shout out. Mm. <laughs> 2.11 p.m. is 112 backwards. Or 2.11 is 112 backwards. Yes. This tweet was made on September 20th, 2023. So at the bottom of the tweet, 
the time and the date would read 2 colon 11 9 slash 20 slash 23. But if you separate it at the colon and keeping their original order, you get 2 11 9 2023. As in two albums or second version of 1989 on November 9th, 2023. Is your brain tired yet? I mean, yeah. A little bit. <laughs> well, here's some more. Chaos, chaotic surprises, popping up unannounced, karma. Karma's assigned color is orange. Taylor wore an orange 1989 two-piece set instead of blue for the Eras Tour 1989 portion, where Swifties were expecting red, blue, and green because those are the colors outfits that she wore on the original 1989 tour. So she's been copying a lot of her original outfits for the Eras Tour. Right. So everybody expected red, blue, green, but we got red, orange, green. Everybody was like, what the hell? So this caused chaos. Mostly because it felt like a confirmation of Karma, the album. Because Karma is orange. <laughs> the album is orange. The orange set made its debut on April 13th of this year. April 13th, 2023 to Friday, November 10th, which is when the album would actually come out based on this theory, released at midnight, right. is exactly 211 days, again, 112 in reverse, apart. So those dates are 211 days apart. Mm -hmm. 112. Also, the exact same time that the tweet went out about Vault Tracks and Chaos. Alright, so Reputation <laughs> was released originally, the original Reputation, on Friday, November 10th of 2017. This is when the quote, Love Blackout began. Reputation was the album that took the place of the speculated Karma album. Karma would have been the album containing leftover songs from the 1989 era that she didn't or couldn't release. Karma being the thing that is blacked out in the Love Blackout. If the blackout ends with the announcement of this additional 1989 album on November 9th, 2023, that is exactly <laughs> 2,190 days since the Love Blackout began with the Reputation release. Just in case you were not aware of what I just said, it comes from a lyric in Glitch off of Midnight's that says, but it's been 2,190 days of our Love Blackout. The system's breaking down. It does say that. It does say that. To wrap all this up, also November 9th is exactly 13 days after the initial release of 1989 Taylor's version on 1027. There you go. We getting it, boys. We getting it. Box is full of Pepe over here. We getting it. Thank you, Kimberly, for that lovely clown corner. You're welcome. This is what you asked me. Yep. Take it like a man. And now, let's get into the song of the week. Cowboy Like Me was originally released on Evermore in 2004. It was written by Taylor Swift and Mr. Aaron Desner, and it was produced by Aaron Desner. It features backing vocals from Marcus Mumford of the band Mumford & Sons. Madeline did not realize that the person on this song was the guy from Mumford & Sons. No, I didn't either, until okay. I was looking up well, things this week. I did know that y'all are both just dinguses, but... I don't listen to Mumford & Sons, so I'm not going to clock that and be like, oh, it's the guy from Mumford & Sons. No, I didn't hear it and just know it. I just heard people talking about it after yeah. Evermore came out. Well, I didn't. Cowboy Like Me peaked at number 71 on the Billboard Hot 100 and 
According to Madeline, the pod Gremlin, it includes the same note progression as the beginning of the song Tim McGraw from Taylor's debut album, her, in fact, debut single. Yes, Madeline did show them to me back to back and get it, hear it. Yes, I'm sure they're current. I have not gone back to check myself, but I believe it. What has Taylor said about the song? That she's a big fan of Marcus Mumford, and that's it. There you go. Good enough. Short, sweet, and to the point. The critics are generally fans of it. Very positive. Clash said it hits with the same blissful misery of some of Speak Now's slow burn heartbreakers. Think Last Kiss, Innocent. Entertainment Weekly said that it depicts two con artists slip slide into romance, sweet guitars, and stray harmonica riffs, adding a candlelit glow to the love story. NME called it a rootsy, blues-laced number that wouldn't feel out of place on Lana Del Rey's Norman fucking Rockwell. Just a quick aside, this great album. If you haven't listened to it, you should. And then Pitchfork just said it was gorgeous. Incorrect across the board, other than NME. They're the only ones who got it right. (laughs) (laughs) What about the fans? Do they like it? Rob Sheffield ranks it at number 74, too high. (laughs) R slash Taylor Swift ranks it at 13 out of 17 songs on Evermore. Um, Again, too high. (laughs) We'll see. We will see. Let's get into the lyrics a bit. Verse number one. And the tennis court was covered up with some tent-like thing. And you asked me to dance. What I said... Dancing is a dangerous game. I like the opening. We see the speaker is at a wedding reception or something similar to that. It's a rich person's house that they have their own tennis court. And she, like me, does not know the proper name for them big old tents that you can get for those type of things. As someone who works in events, the phrase being in the second sentence of the song, the phrase with some tent-like thing gives me... The ultimate ick. Why? I don't know. Something about that drives me crazy. I only said as a person being in events because you said, I don't know what the proper name for giant tents are. They're just called tents. They're just tents. Well. There's like sailed tents, clear top tents, but they're all tents. (laughs) Well, the speaker, like me, is not familiar with those sort of big old tents. That's not what we think of when we think of tents. Sure. Out of place. That's what Smitty conveyed. Why is dancing dangerous? Because it can lead to boning. <laughs> Watch yourself out there, kids. Stay pure. Leave room for Jesus. If you get to dance, I might accidentally slip into somebody's bed. That's it. Leave room for the Holy Spirit in between you when you're dancing. That's what all of those chaperones of the middle school dances were getting at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> into the pre-chorus. I've got some tricks up my sleeve. Takes one to no one. You're a cowboy like me. Kimberly, you have said on the record that the first time you hear a song, you take the lyrics literally. Did you think for just one second, the speaker or Taylor was talking about trick cereal, like she'd been eating trick cereal and had some up her sleeve? Well, see, I know that Taylor herself is a silly rabbit. So she knows that tricks are for kids. So she would keep them up her sleeve. Hidden away. Yeah. There you go. The speaker... (laughs) The speaker does not belong at the fancy party in the tent-like thing with the rich kids. She's a trickster, a con woman, faking it till she makes it, and she recognizes a kindred spirit immediately. What does it mean to consider yourself and someone else to be a cowboy? What traits does a cowboy have? Well, 
to me, when I think of a cowboy, I think of someone who's independent, self-sufficient, transient, moves around a lot, doesn't really have a home per se, doesn't want one, doesn't like to be tied down or stay in one place too long. Gotta keep it moving. Wetty, dirty, smelly, gross. And <laughs> as we learned from Lil Nas X, can't nobody tell them nothing. Oh, I know that's true. <laughs> Even with these cowboys. <laughs> that's right. Verse two, never wanted love, just a fancy car. Now I'm waiting by the phone, like I'm sitting in an airport bar. The speaker, it's always been about getting money and all the nice things they can buy for her. Not anymore. Money can't buy me love. Sir Paul McCartney, <laughs> the Beatles. <laughs> I enjoy that song. It's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> can we just talk about that song instead? Under the chorus, perched in the dark, telling all the rich folks anything they want to hear, like it could be love. I could be the way forward only if they pay for it. You're a bandit like me, eyes full of stars, hustling for the good life. Never thought I'd meet you here. It could be love. We could be the way forward, and I know I'll pay for it. I like the use of the word perched. The speaker sees herself as some sort of bird of prey up above things watching waiting to strike at the opportune moment what's uh, funny now i'm just picturing taylor like one of those like ugly little vultures in jungle books sitting on the <laughs> just <laughs> sitting on the branch waiting it's, it's yeah it's metaphorical it's metaphorical i know but you said that and that's immediately what i started thinking <laughs> That is funny to imagine, though. Speaker is seemingly in something like a sugar baby type of situation. She sells her attention, her quote-unquote love, to get the expensive things that she wants. Bandits, another evocative word. Bandits are people who, you know, they steal things. They want something that someone else has and they take it from them. All the bandits I know are dogs. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and then the final couplet is interesting. How will she pay for love? potentially in multiple ways. If she chooses love over the sugar baby life, presumably she'll have to give up the money and fancy things. So in a literal financial sense, she would pay for it. But if she chooses money over love, she'll lose love and pay with a broken heart. If she tries to have both, she'll probably lose both because that's a line that's hard to walk. I've seen Moulin Rouge. It's a fraught <laughs> situation. Under the bridge and the skeletons in both our closets plotted hard to fuck this up. And the old men that I've swindled really did believe I was the one. And ladies luncheon have their stories about when you pass through town. Oh, that was all before. I locked it down. Secrets. We all have them. If you want to truly be in a loving, lasting relationship, you have to share them with your partner. And that's a terrifying thing. But if it's real, and y'all will work through it. And the last line tells us that the speaker did indeed choose love. Hooray! Verse three. Now you hang from my lips like the gardens of Babylon with your boots beneath my bed. Forever is the sweetest calm. The hanging gardens of Babylon, one of the wonders of the ancient world, whether or not they actually existed is a matter of a lot of historical debate. The speaker's partner is like that. Too beautiful, too magical to possibly be real. And yet it appears she's found it Somehow, someway. And I love the last line, forever's the sweetest con. I won't get tattoos because needles scare me. But if I did, and I was gonna get a Taylor lyric, that'd be a good one, I think. I'd get a Taylor lyric tattoo. Not from this song, but I would. Yeah, we've talked about that before. You asked what what lyric I might get if I hypothetically were to. And that could be a good one, I think. 
I think I got too many to pick from, and then I just end up covering my body in Taylor Swift lyrics. All right. Now it's time to get into a special message from the Gremlin, who has typed up a bunch of stuff. Madeline's gay shit. That's right. The Gremlin's gay grotto. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Gotta make a drop for that. Welcome to the gay grotto. Um, it gets gay in the grotto. I'm just going to read this out, how Madeline has this written. Yeah. So y'all... Come after, come after Madeline if you got problems. Just kidding. <laughs> the gays think this one is about Carly or another hidden queer love affair. Naturally. There are others. We'll talk about them one day. Cowboys slash westernisms are a big part of modern queer culture as more and more queer histories are published. The West was one of the only places that was moderately safe for trans people in the late 1800s into the 20th century. Western states are still some of the most progressive in trans and queer-related legislation and productions. Brokeback Mountain wasn't some fantastic idea. Gay cowboys are a staple in our history. I can recommend queer historian Kaz Rowe if you are interested in learning more about queer Western history. Could be interesting. This is a song about secrets and faking it for the crowds and the, quote, rich people that they don't fit in with, conning them out of money, attention, fame. Takes one to know one, gays got that gaydar. Yep, maybe. The song mentions the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, traditionally the seventh wonder of the ancient world. This is Madeline doing a little bit of clowning. Seven is lover-coded. Seven, the number, right. is lover-coded. Supposedly the coming out album era. No one is sure that it ever existed because we have no solid proof, just like her lynch queer loves, described as otherworldly and beautiful, the way we like to describe hot ladies. And the skeletons in both of our closets plotted hard to fuck this up. There is very little more directly queer coded than secrets hidden in closets. The idiom refers to an undisclosed fact about someone. Yep. It's so, true. Yeah. The straights never mention skeletons in closet. We never have. So Well, we don't kill a lot of people. We don't. We don't. That's that such a lie. <laughs> Straight men kill so many people all the time. We never have. Couldn't even hold it in. <laughs> <laughs> I say we. I'm, I'm not even straight, but whatever. <laughs> well, there you go. So that's Madeline's piece on it. Maybe it is a secretly gay song. One of many, according to the Gaylor theorists. Yep. Could be. Could be. Could be. Hard to say. Let's move on to our thoughts. Kimberly, would you like to go first? I'd like to refer you all back to my feelings on the song Gold Rush, but then multiply it by 60 bajillion times. This song has the Gold Rush effect. My brain cannot focus on this song. It won't let... I'm sure the lyrics in this song paint a beautiful, poetic picture, but I wouldn't know because my ears shut off automatically when this song starts. Well, you would know because I just read them. Um, I Most like that you think that my ears didn't shut down. I was laughing about Taylor Swift being a vulture over here. <laughs> There's absolutely nothing about this song that intrigues my brain. Right. Maybe that's on me. Maybe I'm not cultured enough. I don't know. But it just doesn't do it for me. I had the realization yesterday in preparation for this podcast episode that Evermore is not my lowest rated album, Taylor Swift album. But it is like a 50-50 split of the songs. Half of the album I love. And the rest of it is my own personal energy vampire. There you go. Okay. For me, I think 
Overall, it's a good song. It does not feel like a Taylor Swift song to me. I agree with NME that it does feel a lot like a Lana Del Rey song. And I think it has a little bit of Casey Musgraves in it as well. Both of those artists I enjoy overall, so I'm cool with it. And I admire Taylor's willingness to experiment with different sounds and different things. I think that's a cool thing. I also agree that it sounds like a Lana Del Rey song. And I apologize ahead of time, Christy. I don't really like Lana Del Rey's music. (laughs) There it is. All right, let's move on to ratings. For those of you who may not know, we rate every song on a scale of 1 to 10. 1 is extremely bad, 10 is extremely good, 5 is extremely mid. Kimberly, what do you rate this song? It's a 1 for me, dog. Oof. It's a 1. I would rather listen to Change on repeat. Okay. I'll listen to Change on repeat. There's only one other Taylor Swift song that I would give a lower score than this song, if possible. But I can't. If you won't let me give point fives. Right. So Because they're for pussies and we ain't getting no pussies on this part. I don't even know that I'd give that song a point five. I think I'd give it a, just a straight zero if I could. But anyway, I'm not going to tell you what song it is. I probably have mentioned it before in the podcast, but you have to go listen for which ones I listed that I didn't like. I'm not going to tell you what it is. We will get to it eventually. It's coming. It's coming. I don't know how soon, but it's coming. And that is the only Taylor Swift song that I hate more than this one. Madeline makes fun of me all the time because Madeline says that I hate the gay song, which Mm. I don't. I'm a bisexual woman. I don't hate the gay songs. It just happens that way (laughs) that they're all gay, the ones I don't like. Well, here's the thing about that real quick. If you are a gayler and you look at Taylor's oove, every song is a gay song. Yeah. And I mean, that's not a criticism of them. It's just... (laughs) That's if how that's you the, should see it. Yeah, if you're that's a the prism that you look at it through, yeah. that's what you're going to see yeah. in every song. So, yeah, that makes no sense. It's a criticism of you. Well, no, I think that she's saying that songs that even the straights can't deny are gay are the ones that I hate. <laughs> I don't know that it's not gay, but it doesn't strike me as gay. For me, I will give it a seven. Overall, I like it. I didn't know I kind of liked it until this week when I had to actually get into it a bit more. He waited until I was pregnant with his child to do this nonsense. I had to look at the lyrics and everything and really really get into the weeds, the minutia. And I realized, you know, it has value as an art piece. I don't love it. I do, like I said, admire Taylor's willingness to explore different sounds and vibes. And I think the lyrics are very strong and I can listen to them. So I don't have that problem. So glad some one of us can. Otherwise, this would be a real skewed podcast. Yes, indeed. So it's seven for me and one for Kimberly. So pretty divisive. If you'd like to tell us how you rate it, you can do that in the poll, which will be in our episode description down below in Spotify and on our social media, X and Instagram at CBLU underscore podcast. And there it is. Vote and tell us what you think. Because I know that all of y'all are going to vote and it's going to get like a five or a six. And I can live with that because I know that I gave it a one. <laughs> yep. Vote your conscience. That's what Kim really did. What song are we talking about next week? Stay, stay, stay from Red. Yes. Hopefully a little bit less divisive. We'll see though. We'll see. Spoiler alert. This was one of my favorite songs when Red came out originally. Okay. We'll see if it still is. Does it hold up? We'll find out next week. But for now, thank you all so, so much for listening. Follow us on the social meets. 
We will see you next week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Cowboys Like Us. Follow us on Instagram, Threads, and X at CBLU underscore podcast. Email us directly at cowboysliceuspodcast at gmail.com. New episodes every Monday on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Y'all come back now, you hear?